0: I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show,
1: our industry technology is becoming a really critical part. We've probably accelerated five to ten years as a result of COVID, where we would be, and of how we use technology.
0: Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Working in Washington, I'm your host, Mark Walsh. Today's show is really, really informative. It's with Diane Tom. She's the CEO of the American Land Title Association. Okay, it's a local trade association, and there are plenty of those. But guess what? She has chapters or members from every county in America. Why? Because her members are in the middle of your buying a home. Okay, that's a big deal. And there are lots of transactions, and she pays attention. She and her colleagues pay attention to it. Shockingly, we found out that in fact, every state has a whole set of different documents about what it means to get a title for the land or house or condo or co-op you're going to buy. And guess what? There are also lots of legislations and rules and regulations still written from back in the day when there was discrimination. And part of her team's efforts is to get rid of that. So our nation has an open and flat platform for anybody who wants to buy a house to buy a house. Here's our conversation. Diane, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Mark. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: Well, I I teed it up at last time. For some reason, I sort of recall being told there are like 1,200 trade associations in the greater in the DMV, as they say. Is that
1: sort of the right number? You know, you probably know better than I do. Actually, I'm relatively new to the trade association world, but I will tell you, there's quite a few. Yes, quite a few. Sure, you name it. 1,200, quite a few. Whatever. Yes. So let's get
0: back to the the industry in general. But first, let's talk about. ALTA, American Land Title Association. When did you join and what is the goal of the association?
1: So I joined just three years ago, coming up next month. The American Land Title Association has actually been around for over 100 years. Wow. Yes. We are the association that makes sure that the property that you buy is actually yours.
0: (laughs) That's kind of an important issue. Right? All right. So 100 years. Property rights. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and and who are the who are your members We
1: have everybody from the actual agents yep who represent the title insurance business and they with them people who work to look and see when a piece of property comes up if and people always say why I'm not really sure what you're looking for but you'd be surprised today particularly when a piece of land has been in a family for a long period of time yep. you know what happens there could be liens you know work that was done that wasn't paid there's all type of different things that happen that our title agents really make sure is clear and when you sit down at the table to buy your home that this piece of property is really yours. Yeah. That won't come back. So we also have the underwriters, the, the insurance folks who take the risk on that. Okay. So we've got the title agents, as I mentioned. We have a lot of attorneys that do this because interest Wait a minute, There are attorneys in Washington, DC? Oh, I have no, no idea. Actually they're around the country, right? Yeah. Which is amazing. And Believe it or not, every state, almost every state kind of approaches this differently because it was very organic how title insurance sort of was created. So some states you have to be an attorney to do title, and that's mostly on the East Coast. But if you go sort of west to the Mississippi, you find that that's not required. Got it. So there's a lot of – I would say the majority of folks who are in this industry did not graduate from school or wake up and say, wow, I want to be in the title industry. Right. But once, right. Where's my future? But once you're in it, it does attract a certain type of individual, somebody that wants to make sure things are done correctly. Yeah. You know, we really see our role at the closing table as sort of the umpire. Yeah. To make sure everything is in order, that there's going to be no surprises at the end. Right. Yeah. And so that's our job. What
0: about lenders? Do you have any of the uh, banks or folks that would finance these events or not?
1: So they're obviously our biggest client because, you know, we work very closely with them. We make sure, because, Title insurance wouldn't exist without the loan lender, yeah. right? So it's the loan that sort of dictates Got what it. the title insurance is.
0: I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on COVID and how that's interacted or affected your specific group and maybe a, from a larger perspective – but if you don't mind, what sort of the rate card? How, what, are there tiers of membership? And pre-COVID, what would be the experience of a member? Going to a conference, uh, papers, lobbying? What, 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 what's that about?
1: Yeah, you know, I will tell you, I, I say I don't have that much experience in trade associations, but I have been around Washington for a very long time. Got it. Longer than I like to admit in there some instances. And have seen lots of different organizations, you know, represent industries in different ways. I will say the title industry... ALTA, the American Land Title Association, is the one place where everybody comes together. So really everything happens from how they set standards for their industry, and how they get their certifications that they're required, that's something that Alta, to the forms that are developed. When you sit down to buy a house, that happens at Alta. So we work with all the big regulatory agencies, including the GSEs and others, to make sure all this information. So I think in our case, we're pretty unique as a trade association. You said GSEs? So the Fannie and Freddie. um, Got it. The lenders. They are our biggest client. Yeah. So how they sort of choose to determine how, you know, the first-time home buyers, we we play a part in that because of the Alta forms when you sit down at the table to buy a home.
0: We're talking with Diane Tom. She is our guest today on What's Working in Washington. She's the CEO of the American Land Title Association here in the DMV. What I didn't know, and I guess that's because I bought homes in New York and Maryland, I guess I should have figured this out, is that state by state there can be some differences. So you're sort of a gathering house or gathering unit for um, comparing those? Do you see a day when there'll be a national platform?
1: So we are the national organization that represents everyone. Let's take New York, for example. They do have their own state land title association. New York has its
0: own version of everything, I totally. think, at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> And that is a very challenging market yeah. um, in so many ways, as yeah. you know. Um, but they are part of our larger organization. So even though they're independent on their own, there's so many issues that happen at a national level that we sort of all work together. And to your point, you know, if the certification piece, the networking piece, some of the other pieces, but the advocate. which is really a big part of what we do and where we make the biggest impact impact and add the most value for our members is a national effort
0: so national lobbying do you also do state-level
1: lobbying we do yeah we do well in the state of
0: New York not not to digress on my experience but I bought it where my lovely bride and I bought a co-op and a condo and then a house standalone house those are some (laughs) transactions do you do co-ops I mean is there some weird stuff on American Land Title Association for co-ops, or is that its own unit, its own world?
1: We do everything. We do commercial. So whenever you buy a piece of property, when there's a transfer, we're involved. And that would be physical. That's land.
0: Uh, Hence, I I mean, I'm I'm an idiot to ask because it says land right in your title. So a co-op... Which is, you know, on the 19th floor of a piece of land probably wouldn't be in your purview.
1: Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Like okay. if it's a, if you had a loan on it, yeah. then you'd have a piece of title insurance wow. to be sure that you actually so – any transaction. Well, let's go into
0: yeah. something that mm-hmm. I'm sure everybody in your world cares a lot about, and that's notarization. We've all – I mean, everybody's paid the whatever six bucks or – I forget the whole structure, how to do that. Um, I, at one point, I wanted to be a notary. I thought it was kind of neat to have that. But that business has probably changed a lot since COVID. Where are you guys on that?
1: You know, it's so interesting you should ask that, Mark, because I actually needed to find a, a notary for something unrelated to buying a house here in D.C. Yeah. Post-COVID. And it was not easy. Right. You know, people weren't here. But where we have, what we have um, the most important impact that has sort of changed the way a lot of people do business, it's happened in our industry, but in many others, is that a lot of that can be done online now. Yeah. And many states, at least 39 of them right now, have what they call temporary measurements that are still in place as a result of COVID that they've allowed that to transpire. And one of the things we've been doing at a national level, the American Land Title Association, has been advocating for a piece of legislation called the SECURE Act. And basically what that would do is allow all states to ha- work on the same platform to be able to have remote online notarization. Again, for buying a house, for healthcare, lots of different industries but I mean is it me showing this, my yeah.
0: license on a Zoom call to prove that I'm me to the notary or is that you know, is it that granular how does it go
1: Well, we wish it was that simple. Yeah, you know, right, unfortunately, right. Uh, obviously a lot of the privacy issues and yeah. other things need to put, take place and the platforms of where they're happening and there's lots of different states that have different reasons for maintaining their current way of doing things. So we're trying to work with everybody to sort of, you know, I would say level the playing field so everybody has access this type of technology
0: that's the voice of diane tom she's our guest today on what's working in washington i'm your host mark wall she's the ceo of the american land title association based here in the dmv so i sh- jumped over this i shouldn't have were you in the association business before this job as CEO and, and kind of how did you get to this?
1: Yes. So actually two um, other organizations I work with right before I stepped into this role, I was run, running the National Rental Home Council, which was a very new industry and wouldn't have existed without technology because as you may recall, after 2008, a lot of homes that were left on the market, yeah, um, a lot of the larger um, private equity companies put a lot of money into it to put them back on the market. Right, And so, and then there were a lot of what we called smaller owner operators, people who had bought 10, 15, 20 different single family homes. And again, without technology, they would never have been able to manage it. Yeah. And so I I started, when they hired me at the time, we had four members. And by the time I had finished over a four-year period, we had 65 members. There you go. That's That's how quickly that had grown.
0: But this wouldn't be the VRBO kind of market, right? This would people renting a house for a family to live there for a long period of time.
1: Correct. And the owner would be sort of a large, not always corporate, but sort of a large, what we would call operator. They owned multiple single-family homes. So it would be, you know, the the millennial who wasn't ready to buy a house but wanted a yard and a dog and someone to take care of it. So what made it unique was that... um, the owner operator would take care of the yard, would make sure you know they'd change the change light bulbs and all that kind of stuff. And the only reason you know, unlike when you're in an apartment building where that's easy to do because you yep. can you just run up and down the floor. With technology, you put things in place when you knew certain things needed to be addressed, or if there was an emergency, you had the technology to sort of be around there. So, I'm sure yeah.
0: that COVID has changed a lot of what it means to be in your trade association. But before we get to that, it certainly, in my experience, has changed property valuations, and transactions, what are some of the data points you might give us on how 2019 is different than 2020, 2021, and 2022?
1: And one thing I will say, too, um, before I ran the single-family rental industry, I ran the National Association of Women Business Owners. Oh, congratulations. Thank you, Nabo. And the reason I mentioned that is because back then, when I was running that organization in 2008-9, we were just when somebody would show up at an event, we'd say congratulations for being in business, right? Because yeah. after everybody right. was decimated, right. Right? right? So nobody knew what was going to happen this time around, right, with COVID. I think when, it, you know, March of 2020, we were all sort of planning for the worse, right? And as a trade association, our job was to sort of be the voice of for our members, and we have 6,000 members around the country, we actually, what makes our our trade association pretty unique is that we have a member in every single county in the United States of America. Wow. I know, isn't that cool? 6,000 members. 6,000 members. Okay. And so we really know what's happening everywhere, yeah. not just in the big metropolitan cities or in, you know, somewhat rural. We are everywhere. And that's sort of – and the folks who work in our industry are very involved in their communities. So they really know what's going on, and they're at really a good temperature for what's happening.
0: So let's hold it there because I want to tease our listeners mm-hmm. on some of the data that you're going to show and talk about about the eye-popping valuations that have come up. Not just vacation homes, but it seems like everywhere. It's Diane Tom, everybody. She's the CEO of the American Land Title Association. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh. We'll be back with more of a conversation with Diane after this. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you are a D.C. insider and want to know what leaders in other industries are talking about, we give you that insight. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. We want perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We look forward to hearing from you. What's Working in Washington? I'm your host, Mark Walsh. It's the show that tries to show you what is working in Washington or the area or in general around our globe. And we're excited to have as our guest again, Diane Tom. Diane is the CEO of the American Land Title Association right here in the DMV. We're talking about home ownership, but also at a larger kind of meta level about trade associations and their value to their members. But sticking on the American Land Title Association and home ownership, an issue that I'm sure some of our listeners think about an issue is discrimination in home ownership. It's been around for, I know you guys are over 100 years old. I bet it's been around for at least 100 years. How are some of the, what are some features of your trade association's counsel or advice or even uh, uh, elements of membership that help the arena get rid of discriminatory behavior?
1: Yeah, you know, we, like everybody, believe everybody should have an option to buy a home, right? Yeah. And there should be, nobody should have any more obstacles than others um, when it comes to fair housing. And one of the things, there's two things that are happening right now, which I think are really interesting, and it's important for your audience to know, is that we are working with um, Senator Tina Smith. She is from Minnesota, but this is a piece of legislation that she has introduced talking about discriminatory covenants. And for those of you, You know, your audience who aren't aware of what they are, like you said, hundreds, not even hundreds of years ago, obviously, you know, could be 20 years ago in some cases and other places around the country. There were certain covenants written into transactions that excluded a lot of individuals, including African-Americans and women in some cases and others that they're no longer legal, but they do exist in terms of their writing. So if you go to buy a piece of property and you happen to see the documents, it could pop up and it can be very painful for folks. And so that's something we're working very closely with. How do we sort of maintain the historical pieces of those documents, but also make sure that, you know, things that should never have existed and no longer, you know, are ever even enforced have to become available to folks.
0: So you probably are confronted with homeowners associations as entities in general. Is that Is that part of the issue that you're seeing or is it even at the state level or I guess county or or city level similar language or am I I misinterpreting this?
1: So, well, you know, we don't deal once, you know, the transactions done, the homeowners association are different, but this would apply to everybody, including the homeowners association. It should never even after the fact that transaction has been done. What we try to do is avoid that upfront. Yeah. You know that that doesn't exist. And we are working with everybody. We're working with, you know, the mortgage bankers to make sure the loans. Um, I think most recently they talked about, you know, when they value homes in some neighborhoods, they don't get the same value as others. And right. sometimes that gets misconstrued, you know, yeah. based on who owns the home and yeah. other things. So all of these things, whether intentional or not, really do affect and that's our job is to really – our job, we really see ourselves as the person who sort of wants to make sure the individual gets access to what they should and deserve to do without any of these um, obstacles that are really unfortunate.
0: I was once at a lunch at a big bank in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was living in New York, and my colleagues and I were down there for the lunch, and the our host pointed to a part – with Big Tall Tower – pointed to a part of town. He said, that's our New York relocation area down there because – All the price, all the values pop up because we know you New Yorkers have to plow your money back into a piece of property in a year. So we just hike the price up to match what you were paying in Greenwich or in Westchester County, whatever. So home valuations is. It's in the eye of the beholder, or the eye eye of the purchaser.
1: To that, as you can imagine, around here, you know, a lot of it is competition, yeah. right? So when you have competition, you yeah. hope that that doesn't transpire.
0: Yeah, you right? hope. Yes, hope totally. Hope, hope, yeah,
1: absolutely. So before we yep. we,
0: we took some time uh, for for a break here in the conversation, we were talking about transaction volume and COVID and stuff like that. What is what have have your uh, members seen? Sort of 19 and before, 2019 and before, versus the COVID experience.
1: Right. So, 2019, we really thought the beginning of 2020, we were going to be focused on um, data privacy because there was a lot going on around the country, and we were concerned about that because we wanted to make sure it didn't go in a way that we weren't going to be. California had some new rules, and other we assumed other states were going to adopt that, and it seemed like that's what we were going to be focused on for 2020. Well, of course, you know, March. Mid-March, March 17th, I think it was when we closed our offices, changed everything. And literally that evening, we started hearing inklings about businesses being closed, some people being deemed essential, who is, who isn't. So we really got to work. We had to work with the Department of Treasury, the FHFA, and of course, Homeland Security were the ones who were making the decisions. Yeah. What was so interesting for our industry, because I noticed this when I stepped into this role... They're really good at what they do, but they're not really good at telling people what they do. And, I'm shocked, right? Yeah, <laughs> isn't that amazing? Right? Yes. Not their first job. No, and so nobody really understood their value because they were too busy doing their job. Well, when the transaction, one of the things that happens when you're buying a home is the county records have to get. You know, you have to work with the county courthouses, and our folks are the ones who sort of liaison on that. Yeah. So we, you know, started crowdsourcing information: who was open, who wasn't, because people are like, we need to get these deals done. I personally was getting calls from the American Bankers Association, from folks over at Fannie and Freddie saying, what do you guys need to get these deals done? Let us know. We will help you. Because all of a sudden, you know, this was about six weeks into the pandemic. Right. People were at home and their house was either too small or, you know, they were thinking about refinancing. And I will say one sort of untold story of the whole pandemic when it comes to housing is unlike 2006 to eight, when we had the housing crisis, People stayed in their homes, right? And that was intentional. We learned from that. That's a good thing, right? So that's something we don't talk about because it happened. But no one expected the sort of explosion that happened in terms of, you know, people moving and being able to stay there remote, right? The way that people are now working and the refinancing piece. So, you know, we, our industry, I would say if you ask anybody today, it would be exhaustion, they're still, you know, working at, up. Yes. And and you couldn't get a hold of equipment. So they couldn't hire people because people weren't available yeah. to be hired. And they couldn't find equipment. So people were doing the job of three, four folks. Because a lot of our members are what we call mom and pops. They're two, three. They're family businesses. They've been yeah. in these communities for a hundred years in some cases. And so, you know, that's uh that was a very difficult part of um so you have six
0: thousand members, one in every county, and you mentioned some of them maybe a lot of them, are mm-hmm. effectively sort of family businesses. Do you see consolidation in your industry? I mean, wh- and if not, wh- why hasn't that happened?
1: We're definitely, what's happening is, like you see a lot of places, people are aging out. Yeah. And their family members are not necessarily interested. And we also, you know, our industry technology is becoming a really critical part. We've probably accelerated five to 10 years as a result of COVID, where we would be in terms of how we use technology. And I think the fear that some of our smaller members thought that technology might make them go away have now sort of, you know, have sort of embraced that we need technology, but there still needs to be a human component to it. So it's been, for our industry, um, just keeping up with how quickly things have changed and adopted has been probably, and that's our role, is to make sure our members understand what the new, you know, what kind of techniques are out there, what kind of technology they can be using, and that we're working, one of the most important things we do, we work very closely with our lender partners and with our realtors. So when we do these transactions that we're all on the same platform.
0: Yeah, Did you guys get, or did many of your members get PPP loans during the COVID pandemic?
1: We did not, but one of the things that we did for our members was help them access that. Right, right. Some of them ended up not having to use them because they were so busy. But, you know, in the beginning, nobody really knew. So that was one of the really vital points. And we were really the only source of information for people. So we were regularly communicating to our members. And, you know, I can say that it really sort of our value was sort of understood and heightened significantly during the pandemic for our industry. But I'm not sure every industry had that same experience.
0: That's Diane Tom. She's the CEO of the American Land Title Association, ALTA, right here in Washington, D.C. So let's talk about trade associations in general for a minute. You're obviously running one, but there's so many around here and throughout the U.S. and maybe, I guess, globally as well. Are you seeing any trends in kind of customer service? I I shouldn't say it that way. Trends in what it means to be a member, how much a company pays or entity pays, what's the new version of their annual conference because of face-to-face being under duress, what, what are some new ways that a trade association serves its members? Or is it just basically steady as she goes?
1: Yeah. No, Mark, you are absolutely right. There's so many new ways that we can deliver our value. Um, many folks are, the actual trade association is going uh, virtual. Yeah. So they're not paying for office space. They can then use the money that they spent for that, for other uh, programs and other areas for their members. Um, a lot of folks are doing their events still totally virtual. Yep. Many are doing hybrid, but I think the majority of people, the hybrid is tough. Yeah, it's really difficult. So I think they. Half a loaf.
0: It doesn't support others. Yeah, Yeah. I think
1: we've all learned that piece of it. So I think many people are going to have something that's just virtual, and then they'll also do the in person. But I would say the majority of trade associations, we were fortunate to be able to do some of our events throughout this because we were in places like Florida and Texas and New Orleans, where they, uh, at least in New Orleans, they already had a lot of the protocols in place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, folks didn't want to, you know, participate. They weren't able to. It wasn't something we had to enforce. Understood. You know, in terms of that. But I will say a lot of folks are just coming out right now in terms of um, doing their networking events. And honestly, people really want to be together. They really, you, you can't underestimate how much work gets done face to face. And it's great to have these other vehicles I think we've all learned in case we don't have to travel, we need to get everybody together quickly, but nothing is like being in person and being able to get get together. We're social animals, that's That's for sure.
0: What's next for your trade association? Crystal Ball, 6,000 members. Are you trying to get to be 12,000 members? I guess really your industry sort of couldn't expand that much. Are you going to become more regional? Are you going to get back to -to face-to-face meetings, all the above, something I'm not covering?
1: I think for us, the most important thing we do is to continue to add value as our industry evolves. So we're looking at creating a technology council. We have a whole lot of associate members who have a lot to bring to this debate and how people do their work and get it done. So that's... Really, really important to us. The other piece that we're working on is providing research in our area. Because yep. again, data is so important. But data is important, but it's how you interpret it. So we want to make sure from our perspective, people really understand what we're seeing and how important that is. So there's a lot of exciting um, things going on that we feel that we can continue to provide value to. Good call.
0: Our final question we ask guests is a magic wand moment. If you were the, If you ruled the planet for some reasonable period of time, not just an hour or whatever, what would you start doing or and or what would you stop doing? And it can be quite broad. It can be quite mundane, whatever you want. Any thoughts?
1: You know, I would have to say what's happening in Europe, in the Ukraine, if I could, you know, make that stop, that would be my primary thing right now. I just feel like, you know, all of us are watching this unfold in real time. And it's really, really, really horrifying.
0: Very good answer, although horribly spot on. I, uh, I will I will even add to your answer intention. I recently went to a speech given by the woman who was the ambassador to Ukraine for the United States. Just came out with a book. Yes. Maria Yovanovitch. Yes. And from the audience, the question was, should we take the threat of nukes seriously? And I thought she might say, well, there's a lot of posturing. And she said, no, take it really, really seriously. So- what a bummer to finish our conversation. I'm sorry, Mark. But, I know no, but I, set I it mean, up. if I, I had, set it up. if I
1: had the magic wand that would be it.
0: That's a darn good one. Diane yeah. Tom, uh, CEO of American Land Title Association joining us here on what's working in Washington. Diane, thanks for being our guest.
1: I am so delighted to be here, Mark. Thank you so much. Appreciate all you do for everybody.
0: Thanks for listening, and I hope that our show continues to give you some enlightenment, some information, some actionable intelligence, and hopefully some enthusiasm about what works in Washington, D.C. So once again, thanks for listening. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraf. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbeam. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.